Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Motive Method. I'm Tim Watson Munro. And I'm Dr. Xanthi Mallet. In the past, in fact, it was our first podcast, we talked about domestic homicide and what are the red flags that people can look for. We had a very detailed discussion about that. In the last 12 months, 58 women have been murdered by a partner or ex-partner. Lily James has been one of the most recent ones, although it's sad to say that subsequent to her murder at the St Andrews Cathedral School, there's been another two murderous women, as I understand it. So we're witnessing an epidemic of domestic violence in Australia and probably elsewhere. Lily James was murdered in the school gymnasium toilets by her ex-boyfriend, who then, after a period of some hours, suicided. He played a bit of a cat and mouse game with her parents, psychopathically in my view, obtained her mobile telephone and then sent a text message to her family requesting that she be collected from the school. He then subsequent to that drove out to the eastern suburbs of Sydney, sent messages as I understand it to the police, his belongings were discovered and eventually his cadaver was found at the bottom of the cliffs. And this incident was actually premeditated, wasn't it? The police spoke about that shortly afterwards because there were a number of things that led them to that conclusion. As soon as I heard that he'd actually brought a weapon to the scene with him, so the situation was that Lily James was at the school, she was a water polo coach, there'd been a match that night, she'd taken the equipment back to the school and was dropping it off. And I imagine, although this hasn't come out yet, but I'm sure it will, but I imagine that that was her habit she would have taken it there. So after the the match, he would have known that. He also worked at the school. They'd dated for a really short period of time, like five weeks or something, and separated a few weeks earlier. So this was not a really intense, in-depth, long-term relationship. It seems pretty superficial. So he absolutely would have known her habits. And it appears that he attended the school at that time, potentially to get her on her own when she was dropping that equipment back He took a hammer with him to the scene. And as soon as I heard that, I thought premeditation. That was later confirmed because he'd actually hired a car that day to drive. He didn't have a car, just to drive to the school that evening and leave. And then there's that that calls to her father asking him to pick her up or text to the father, messages to the father asking him to pick her up from the school. So there's a number of elements that show planning and premeditation here. Uh, Absolutely. This was not a spontaneous act of violence. Occasionally you get individuals who have an argument. There's a background of uh, tension in the relationship and at some point an argument gets out of hand and on impulse the woman may be killed. But this is not an impulsive murder. This is a well-planned murder. He takes the weapon, he plans his escape 
and then just to aggravate the context of everything, he contacts her family, and as I say, plays cat and mouse with the police and so on. People say to me, this is crazy behaviour. And I say, no, these people are not mad, they're bad. They're individuals who are in touch with the reality. They are aware of the consequences of what they are doing. And as this case tragically demonstrates, there's a lot of forward planning before the commission of the crime. And I think one of the reasons, I mean, obviously this is an awful situation, but I think one of the reasons that this case is particularly important to discuss because it sets us in the broader context of why these women are dying and what it tells us about the men that are killing them and broader societal attitudes to male violence. And one of the things that really struck me and a lot of people after Lily's brutal and awful murder was that uh, Dr John Collier, who used to be the, um, who is the school headmaster, came out and spoke about the offender in this case. Um, he's an elite schoolmaster, so he has a lot of impact over a lot of young men and development of those young men's minds. And he wrote a letter, a newsletter to the school kind of community as a result of this incident. And I just wanted to read some of those quotes to you because I was shocked and I know a lot of other people were about some of the ways in which he described the offender. So he described him as a quote, absolute delight and not a monster. And I know that these comments have shocked um, prominent domestic violence advocates um, because they really seem to be supportive of this young man who, pre who premeditated violent murder. He went on to say in this newsletter, what is chilling about the tragedy which unfolded at St Andrews, the shock and grief of which will cascade for a long time, is that the young man concerned was, in everybody's estimation, an absolute delight. He wrote, He appeared to be just like the best of us. An hour before he committed the atrocity, he was speaking in a relaxed, friendly mode with staff at the school. He was not a monster. Rather, in the last five hours of his life, he committed a monstrous act, which in, in complete contradiction to what everyone who knew him observed in the rest of his short life. He described him as a fine student, a prefect, a role model. Now, I'm really interested to know what your thoughts are, Tim, on what message that is sending to other young boys who decide that once rejected by a woman, which we're assuming happened in this case, she ended the relationship and he decided to end her life as a result. What message is that man sending to other young men and boys about what he did? It's an appalling message. And there was a lot of a program arising from that message. He might have been a nice boy at one point in his life, but clearly his behaviour is monstrous. It is the behaviour of a monster. Not only does he kill her with a hammer in a premeditated, premeditated way, but then, as I've said, aggravates the circumstances and context of the murder by taunting the parents and others in the community. I don't want to speak to the motivation for those comments beyond saying they are ridiculous. And in terms of your question, for some in the community, some males, their takeaway is, well, it's not so bad. I won't be remembered as being a monster. People will focus on the good aspects of my life, if there were any good aspects. And in a way, it really diminishes the gravity of what's happened with this murder. It's, it's it, it absolutely does. And I think it was incredibly disrespectful to Lily and her memory. She was also a staff member at that school. 
And yet he seems to be focusing on the offender, but trying to highlight his positive attributes. And frankly, in this scenario, when somebody has been brutally murdered by another staff member and you're saying what a wonderful person the offender is, I was actually shocked when I read that. And I, in this day and age, when we know we have such an epidemic of male violence on women, that for somebody in a position of authority and cognitive authority over the young men in his care to come out and say that was frankly appalling. I don't think there's much argument about that. And you can't justify it. You can't excuse or explain away a brutal, cold-blooded murder of an innocent woman who did nothing more, as I understand it, than say, look, I don't want to see you anymore. There may be an intensity of feelings on the accused, the deceased murderer's behalf, but so what? <laughs> People get rejected all the time. You don't take to them with a hammer, do you? I'd be interested to know if there are any red flags in this case. I guess we'll never know. But yeah, because general, the police, there the are police did flags. say there was no formal AVOs taken out by Lily James, but they were only together a few weeks. I'm not even sure that it was possible in that time to have got those AVOs, etc., And people keep saying to me, oh, there was no history of domestic violence or whatever. And I always say that's never happened in my experience. Nobody has ever gone from zero to 100 like that. Imagine going from no issues at all to getting a hammer, hiring a car, seeking out somebody being isolated in order to murder them. That doesn't happen. There would have been a build-up to that and even well, if Lily hadn't mentioned it to anyone or nobody had seen any signs they were there I guarantee you they were there with Lily or they were there with somebody else but they were there it doesn't happen well, well, one assumes she rejected him for reasons that were well founded for her maybe there'd been indications of coercive control there may have been indications that it inevitably starts of love bombing chocolates flowers undying adoration of the woman and so on and in return they expect the same she's a young woman possibly wanted her independence there are all sorts of boundary issues in terms of the dynamic of their relationship working at the same school and so on i make no comment about that but i totally agree that with this thing just to erupt on the night is palpable nonsense in all likelihood yep yeah and this is not a good a nice boy gone wrong this built up I refuse to accept that suddenly somebody who's nice and balanced and reasonable suddenly got the urge to do this. I think that's beyond anything I've ever seen. And I think Unless they're psychotic, unless they're abusing drugs and lead to psychosis, but there's no evidence of this at all. As I understand it was, they had a relationship. She said, I don't want to see you anymore. And it's often the case in these situations Men with fragile egos, glass jaws, they can't deal with the rejection because by now you belong to me, you're my chattel. And I would imagine another dimension to this is, of course, working in the same environment, the fear of humiliation from the other boys at the school. Because I read he was big noting himself around the place, I'm dating her, and how do you then deal with the fact that you've been rejected? It would be a difficult one for him but again so what you don't exactly. go all the individual it's just extraordinary the, stuff we have these men and boys deciding that women don't have a right to make choices for themselves and ultimately when they're rejected 
the man has the right to take their life away. And I think that is reflected in the schoolmaster's message. It's like, oh, he was a good boy. He did something awful, but he's not a bad kid, really. Seriously, is that what we want to be saying? Awful is a kind of huge understatement, isn't it? What he did was he murdered a vulnerable, innocent woman who had said, I don't want to see you anymore. Yeah, which could be any one of us. Anyone listening to this could end up in that situation. You date the wrong guy for a few weeks and you reject them and suddenly they decide that they're not going to tolerate that. And that is what's frightening here. And we're still still perpetuating that message to young boys via things like that newsletter. And I think that's why it has to be called out. The other thing, of course, is, you know, what can be done about this? How do you recognise what's going on in a relationship? People end relationships every minute of every hour of every day. They don't expect to be murdered for it. But there are some red flags, which we've uh, discussed in our first episode, I think, about what to do. What do you recognise? Love bombings, one. What are some of the others? Isolation. I think that's the big one that I've always seen. They always try and isolate their target from friends and family and anyone else who may influence them. And when I say influence, I mean in a positive way. Anyone who may raise questions as to what's happening, they literally try and cut them off from everyone and everything. They may try and financially take control. So those coercive controls that to start with may think, oh, they're just being caring, wanting to know where I am and who I'm with. Then they'll want to start monitoring your phone or seeing your social media or tracking tracking you via your car or whatever. They have all sorts of ways of doing it, but it's all about coercive control. And they want to make sure that you are solely there under their control and isolated. And that to me is the big one. When they start to try and isolate you, huge red flag, huge. What happens with the isolation? The person, the victim, loses their sense of objectivity and proportion and balance. They become more emotionally reliant upon the offender. And consequently, through a gradual process of desensitisation, they lose their sense of who they are and their capacity to assert themselves. And then they're in real trouble and they have no external points where they can reference what's going on. And I've had many cases where parents have contacted me, parents of adult women, I might add, saying, look, we're extremely worried about her. She's in this dysfunctional relationship. She doesn't answer the phone. He's aggressive. And we're very worried about her psychological and physical welfare. So ultimately, it's a bit like the dynamics when people become involved in cults. They become brainwashed. They have no external sources of information or balance. And they become very vulnerable to being manipulated and controlled. The other part of the cycle is, of course, they may leave. Yeah. And then they may be persuaded to return to the relationship with false promises of change or the violence. If you don't come back, I'm going to kill you and your family. You'd better come back. And so they do come back with inevitably tragic consequences for many. And when they potentially try and leave that relationship, we know from statistics that is the most dangerous time for these women when they're leaving the relationship or immediately post having left the relationship. Those are the real trigger points, which most people will be aware of that. So that's going to put people off leaving because they know that at that moment they could be taking a huge risk. Yes, I think that's true. But I wonder how many out there 
fully appreciate the danger they're potentially in. And we've discussed cases where women leave and they go straight to a refuge, they cut off contacts and they wait for the situation to de-escalate. What tends to happen in those cases is that people find another female victim and the process starts off again. So what causes this? Is it nature? Is it nurture? Is it something from their childhood or is it broader influences? Is it school? We've used this as an example of poor messaging. When I use poor, that's an understatement, is it? Poor messaging going out to the pupils at this school. But what influences people to behave like this? Why do men do this? I think it's all of the above. I don't think that many people are born intrinsically evil. I'm not saying nobody is because we've discussed cases where I think that's clearly the case. The Jamie Bolger killers, for example, evil simpliciter at a very early age. But more often, it's social learning, it's role modelling. So if you're raised in a house where dad bashes mum or abuses mum, it becomes legitimised and then later in life, it's used, those early experiences are used to validate the violence that the male perpetrates against the woman. Well, I think it's broader than even just violence. I think it's just demeaning behaviours, treating women like they have less say, like they have less of a, a voice in the family, that they are the submissive one to the male partner. I think all of these are really dangerous things to be teaching children, boys and girls. We don't want boys thinking that women are submissive to them and under their control, and we don't want girls thinking that they are to submit to men. We want equality and respect. Well, I agree with that. And it is, as you say, it's not just physical violence, it's psychological violence, it's emotional manipulation, it's gaslighting, questioning the woman's sense of reality. I've had many women who say, look, I don't know if I'm going crazy because I'm continuously told that black is white, and I'm sure it is black. It's a very complicated process of abuse that occurs, and it starts in childhood. There was a series of ads later last year and into this year where there was an attempt, I think, to raise community awareness about the subtlety of how little boys reacting with little girls can shape future behaviour, and those behaviours in a way being you know, nodded at and winked at by the fathers who think it's okay. So I've been banging on for a long time about education in schools, social skills, training, problem solving, respect of the other sex. You don't treat women this way. You don't diminish them. You don't demean them. And you empower women so that uh, they don't put up with this stuff. Because the other thing I've observed, I don't know if you've seen it over your career, but there's often a pattern of leaving one of these relationships intact, i.e. not dying, but then moving into another one that's just as dysfunctional. And what I've found is that for a number of these women, they don't know any different. They were raised as women in dysfunctional homes where mum was psychologically abused, physically assaulted and so on. And they erroneously grow up thinking that this is the normal way for people to interact. And it becomes a bit of a light bulb epiphany moment for them when they realise that it's not quite like that. It is meant to be this way. I think that's I, I certainly true. That. I think that's certainly true for a subset. But I think there's also other groups of women who end up in these relationships almost by the males, by stealth. You know, it's such an insidious, coercive control which ultimately leads to domestic violence, domestic homicides, is so insidious and subtle 
in the way it starts that I've witnessed this in in relationships that I've seen and that you don't even know that it's happening until you're in it because you try and keep them happy you try and diminish the outbursts you diminish the negative consequences when you do something quote wrong in their eyes which could be anything and everything that they disapprove of because they own you right so I think it, this can happen to anybody and I think that's the frightening thing it's not about being conditioned to accept this behavior from childhood although I totally accept that some people do seek out dysfunctional relationships because it's what they know it's what's normalized for them and that's a big shift when they realize that and recognize that but it's also about other women just being targeted and falling into it before you're even aware you're in this trap. Well, I agree with that. And it's as behaviourists would describe it, operant conditioning. So for every eight bad experiences, you might have two good ones. And you hang on to the two good ones because at some level you rationalise the other eight and say, look, if only I do this and that and I do as I'm told, then the two good experiences will become constantly good experiences. It never happens. Not because then you realise you can't possibly keep them happy because in some ways they don't want to be happy because they're always just looking for that next thing to get angry about, that next thing to question you over, that next thing to be paranoid about. It's this constant cycle for the male looking for things to challenge women over. It's a bottomless pit of neediness and yeah. they use every tool at their disposal keep the female victim in their clutches. And if a psychological manipulation doesn't work, it'll escalate to violence. The violence may start with damaging furniture, throwing stuff around the, uh, the apartment, the house and so on. And when that doesn't work, they then really step it up. And I was speaking to someone recently. In fact, I think we were speaking to this person at the Writers' Festival where the one red flag amongst them all is if there's any evidence of attempted choking if the male puts his hands around the throat of the female that's a no-no that is really stepping it up and it's a good indicator of potential death yep so the police take that very seriously as do the courts yep which is a good thing we are seeing a shift there with the police and how police deal with domestic violence to reduce the number of women being murdered we're seeing big pushes politically but I think until we start educating boys and girls and changing the dynamics, I think we're going to be stuck, unfortunately, in this cycle. And ultimately, we also have to change the rhetoric around this by people who are influencing the younger generation. So we are talking the school headmasters, etc., the teachers. We clearly have a problem there, given what's been said recently around Lily James, the message has got to be coming from the ground up with the young people, but also adults. Let's take some responsibility and change the discussion because until we change that and the way that this is viewed and the, the concept of relationships between boys and girls and what is healthy and unhealthy, then unfortunately women are going to keep dying. So we have to do something. The other thing I would add to this is education of parents. Fathers need to be educated about not denigrating their daughters. They need to be educated, and I'm not saying all fathers, I'm a father, but they need to be educated about not engaging and encouraging subtle signs of denigration of little girls and sisters and so on. It really almost starts at the cradle, this type of education, and it's not just the kids, it's the people who they are exposed to. 
So the role models of parents is very important in terms of this dynamic. So basically, I guess we all have a part to play in this. This is not about individuals in certain relationships. It's not about the police. It's not about just parents. It's not just about schools. It's about everybody, everybody in the community. We all have a small part to play in changing the discussion and changing the way we view these crimes and the perpetrators of them. Well, I agree with that. And the fact that 58 women have died in Australia this year. Or in the last 12 months. The of, yeah. Yeah, we're just at the beginning, the middle of November this year. So the average used to be about one a week. We're escalating. Certainly this most recent tragic death, I think, has narrowed the focus of our collective consciousness. It's more on our minds. And... We need to take stock and start doing something about it rather than just saying, well, that's a great shame and having situations where headmasters of leading schools say, look, it's all a big shame, but he wasn't a bad bloke after all. That that does nothing to improve the narrative in cases like this. Quite the opposite. Unfortunately, I think we'll be talking about this again because I don't think that this is a topic that it's going to go away I don't think it's a problem as a community we're suddenly going to solve but I'm all for keeping it front and center because unless we keep this at the front of people's minds keep talking about it keep looking for solutions then people are going to keep dying women are going to keep dying so I think we will probably be sadly revisiting this topic at some point and I hope not but I'd love to think that no more women are going to die but I think that's currently unrealistic well we're leading into the Christmas break and my career, as you know, started at Parramatta Jail a long time ago. But the Christmas time was the busiest time for people coming into jail for matters involving domestic violence. And the reason for that was that they're separated from kids, they can't afford presents. Christmas can be a very dangerous time within dysfunctional families. Mix alcohol into it and it can all go very, very wrong very quickly yeah i'm tim watson munro thank you for joining us and i'm dr xanthi mallet thank you for listening thank you for listening to motive and method and remember if you're loving the show you can give us a review you can subscribe to our channel and feed and you can recommend us to friends and family you can also set up a bell notification alert so that you'll know first when a new episode is available 